Glory to God. We are over in Joshua chapter 3. Last week we saw the spies that went into the city and into the land. Rahab, how she protected them and how they made their way on back. But now we're going to take all of Israel over the Jordan. And in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, which just shows you that it's scriptural to be a morning person. And they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. So from Acacia Grove to the uh, Jordan Banks, where they are at here, is about 10 miles. Now imagine picking up all those people and all that stuff and carrying it 10 miles and then parking it all again for a couple of days. However long it was they stayed. Now probably one day they, they traveled over there. Another day they, they rested. But it does say that after three days. So there may have been a second day of rest or preparations for the, the next move. So now you've, you've gone 10 miles with all those folks. And now you're going to go across the Jordan River. Verse 3, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know that which by which, the, the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, what God is basically saying here is that there is a, uh, a safe traveling distance. How many have ever driven in a car? And you know, if you're taking your test for the car, there is a certain distance that's supposed to be between you and the car in front of you. And it's based on the speed. And, you know, you're supposed to count by, uh, passing a, some kind of a point on the road. And then you count so many seconds for car lengths and stuff like that. And that's how you're supposed to calculate it out and all that sort of That's a safe driving distance to them. Now, we all know that each of us has our own safe driving distance. And some are closer and some are further away. <laughs> but we all have our own safe driving distance. What God is saying is the safe traveling distance between you and the Ark of the Covenant for this trip is 2,000 cubits. If you take the average measure of a cubit, multiply that out, you come out with about four-fifths of a mile. So what God is saying is, I want four-fifths of a mile between you and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you may say, why does God want four-fifths of a mile between them and the Ark of the Covenant? Why is that considered to be a safe traveling distance? It's real simple. Because God said so. <laughs> if God says so, that's the way that it is. But he also tells us a little bit more than that. He goes in there and it says, if you don't keep four-fifths of a mile or 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark of the Covenant, then not all the people will see the Ark of the Covenant. So we want the Ark of the Covenant way out there in front, and no matter where you are, you can see the Ark of the Covenant out in front of you. Now understand where they are crossing here, how they're going to cross over the Jordan River. It is a very wide crossing. When they crossed over the Red Sea, it was a narrower crossing. When they're crossing over the Jordan River, it is a very wide crossing it is possible that the area in which they are crossing over is over a mile. And they want to make sure that everybody sees the Ark of the Covenant out there. So they say, you don't go anywhere into that place until the Ark of the Covenant is four-fifths of a mile. Now, who locked that all out? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're taking steps inside there and they holler back. I have no idea how they figured it out. But uh, whatever it was, they, uh, they did it. Apparently, they did it very well because God didn't have anything to say about it. So you do not come near it that you may know 
the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. How many have ever gone a way that you never did before? <laughs> We're not quite sure what that way is about. I've never gone this way before. Just think about the days before GPSs were invented, before there were satellites, before you could just say, take me home. And you had to have gone that way. And if you've gone that way, then you can you know, certainly get yourself around. And you can, you can maneuver yourself and, and get in there. Uh, and it depends on how much you've you traveled around. Some folks are real familiar with Philadelphia, the city. And they can get anywhere around in there they want to because they're familiar with it. Other people, you know, you get on the block, you're lost. Where in the world am I at? How am I supposed to get out of here? What am I supposed to do? And But we all have different areas that we're familiar with. And I, know, I remember when I was first starting to drive, you know, I was starting to drive someplace else and then moved back out here. I said, boy, I, I got to get to know the roads around here. Glory to God, God give me a job that somebody paid me to learn how to road, drive on the roads around here. And so I got this paid job. They're driving all the roads and learn them. And then after I learned all the roads around here, they paid me to go over to New Jersey and learn all the roads in New Jersey. I learned New Jersey better than the back of my hand. I, you could plop me anywhere in New Jersey and I pretty much could figure out how to get home without a map, without asking anybody. It, it was no problem to do. But um, there are still some places I get on out there and you think, dear Lord, where am I? <laughs> how are we going to get back? So he says, you've never gone this way before. So I want the Ark of the Covenant out. Now, I'm not sure how complicated it is to go across the river. If you think about this, you got water on one side, you got the shore on the other side. How hard is it? You never did this before, but I think you could probably do it. But anyway, this is what God said. So God said it. That's what we're going to do. So Joshua, uh, verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So he wants them to sanctify themselves. Y'all get yourselves ready. God's going to do some wonderful things tomorrow and I want you all to be ready about it. So sanctify yourselves. That's what his thing was for getting them, getting themselves ready. So make sure you made all the sacrifices. If you got something that's going on, it shouldn't be going on, take care of it. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the Lord. Now the Ark here in this chapter is referred to quite a few times. It is referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. It is referred to as the Ark of the Lord, I think, three times, and, and just the plain old Ark three other times. But I think altogether it's something like 15 times. And they'll call it between all of those different names. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. One thing you will notice about Israel right now is whatever God says, they do. He says, take it up now, we take it up now. He says, go forward, we go forward. He says, stop, we stop. We don't ask any questions, we just do it. <laughs> what a difference. Boy, God can use that if we just listen to Him and, and do what He says. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you. Begin. <laughs> now, if this is the start, this day I will begin to exalt you. And He begins to exalt him by parting a river. That's the beginning. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> we got more down the road. This is just the beginning. We're going to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. He's already exalted in the sight of God. But now he's going to exalt them in front of all Israel. Why does he have to do that? Because up till now, God has moved through Moses and Moses had been exalted in the eyes of the Lord. But now he says, Joshua, you're the leader. I need to exalt you. I need to let the people see that I'm using you. 
And then I'm working through you. So I'm going to exalt you. One thing about being exalted, let God do it. When the, Jesus came in and gave that parable, He said, don't go into the place of the feast and take the most prevalent places, the higher places. Go in there and take the lowlier places. And He said, let them come and say, why are you sitting back here? Come on up over here. i got a special place for you. Let them exalt you. Don't exalt yourself. Of course, don't go in with that attitude that says, well, I'm going to take the lower spot and somebody better come get me. Because <laughs> that's not going to work either. <laughs> you make sure you don't do that. You just go and back, take the, one of the lower seats and you just be happy. Glory to God, I am here. This is good. And if they want to exalt you, they want to come on back and do that, then glory to God. But don't get in there where you expect it. Don't think I'm entitled to it. We talked about that on Sunday. So, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. The day may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now, he's not doing this so that Joshua knows it. Joshua already knows it because God said it. And that's all Joshua needs. God, if you said it, I believe you. That's good. So he's not doing it for Joshua's sake. He's doing it for Israel's sake. So they said, because he said this stuff to Joshua, but now he's going to demonstrate it to all of Israel. You shall command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. In order to stand in the Jordan, the Jordan must be there. So the Jordan is not going anywhere. They're going to stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that came up from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So we think about this. Now we're comparing the, the two, and a lot of comparisons have been made between the Red Sea crossing and the Jordan crossing. Some people looked at the Red Sea crossing as the place of salvation and the Jordan crossing as crossing over into heaven. That's false. Because when you get to heaven, you don't fight any Amorites. <laughs> There's no more Amorites in heaven. <laughs> There's no battles to fight. There's no Jerichos. There's no Jebusites. None of, I'm not saying that those people, if they got saved, couldn't be there. I'm saying there's no battles to fight. There's no uh, wars to, to be going on when you get to heaven. Uh, the land of Canaan is not a type of heaven. The land of Canaan is a type of inheritance. And they're going in to possess their inheritance and to take their inheritance. And that's what they are going to do. So the orders are to follow the ark of the Lord, to follow at a safe distance, because you have not passed this way before. So again, uh, Joshua gives some commands to the priest. He gives them to the, to the people. But in the Red Sea crossing, we saw that Moses' arms were stretched out before the, the thing. In here, the souls of the priest stepped in. Before Moses stretched out his arm, his staff, and the sea parted. Now, nothing's happening. And then you step into the water. Before with Moses, before the first person stepped into the Red Sea, it was parted and it was dry land. Before anyone does anything at all, 
the priest had to step into a river that's just flowing the way it was supposed to be flowing before. Nothing different. And they're going to stand in the water. Now, if you're Joshua, how many of you all say, I want one of those contracts that Moses has? <laughs> I want one of those deals where it's all done, we just go. Because right now what's going to happen is you're telling me to tell these people that God said this and they're going to stand there and there, nothing's happening. And if nothing happens, they're going, to, they're going to look at me and say, who in the world are you? You're no Moses. But Joshua doesn't mess with any of that. He says, all right, that's what we're supposed to do. We'll go ahead and do it that way. I do like the way that Moses did it better. You did it with Moses better. <laughs> I mean, if I was Joshua, I like the way it happened with Moses too. But of course, Moses had two million or so grumbling people. And Joshua doesn't seem to have any. <laughs> that's amazing right there. That's, a, that's amazing right there. Not a single grumbling person among them. Yeah, they died, but they didn't hatch any new ones. <laughs> I mean, come on, grumbling people can hatch new grumbling people. They just uh, seem to come out that way. But Moses, he stretched out the arms before, and this time it was the souls of the priests that stepped in. God separated the waters before in this one, God stopped one side. That's a big difference. Before God took his, it just kind of blew and parted the waters. And we know that the, the uh, Hebrew tells us they congealed. Actually, they froze. This side froze, this side froze, and that's what held them all back. Frozen water. Just, I mean, instantly like that, frozen water, just do all that. But this one, what God is going to do is he's going to stop it. He says, all right, water, you can't flow anymore. On one side. Because water only flows from one direction. It doesn't flow from two. It flows from one. So he stops it from this one, then the water just keeps on flowing down, and eventually there's nothing there. That's how your tub works. When you have a, a shower, it all flows to one end. And when you turn off your shower, what happens? It dries up. You don't have to do anything to it. It just dries up. And that's what's going to happen with the Jordan. You don't have to do anything to it. You stop it over here. It's just going to keep on flowing all the way on down to wherever it was going to go to. And... Now, it'll, it'll be done there. But the water, the, the land underneath the river is not dry. And it takes a long time. We all know from all the rain we had around here how long it takes your yard to dry out. How long it takes for all those uh, grassy spots that you've got to walk on to dry out. They're still wet. Days after long periods of rain. Well, this stuff has been underwater for years. And we're going to step right on out to it and it's going to be dry. That's where the miracle came in. They dried it. God dried it all up. So he does this, he stops it up on one side and he, he keeps that, that back there and it says that the waters failed all the way down to the Dead Sea. That from this point here in Jericho all the way down to the Red Sea that the, the water dried up. It failed. Because there's no more water coming in, there's no more water flowing that way but it's still flowing on down to the Dead Sea area. And so that's what, what happened here. Where do we leave off at? Thirsting? Uh, verse, did we already come through 13? Yeah. yeah, all right. Verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, that the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during a whole time of harvest. What this means is the Jordan River goes from a, a thickness of about 100 feet. That's about one-third of a football field to one mile. When it's at flood stage in this area, it goes to about a, a width of one mile. Imagine that, a hundred feet 
to a width of one mile. Now, what happens in your streams around here when they go from the little tiny thing that they are to the big thing when the, when the rains come? The current picks up. That current's a whole lot faster. That current can be dangerous. It's, it, that's why it's telling us it's a flood stage. Now, if you're in Jericho and you see that your river that's protecting you, children of Israel on that side, you're on this side, you've got a river in between, and it's that flood stage. How many of y'all think we got some time? <laughs> They're going to have to wait for that flood stage to stop, and then when it comes down, so in the meantime, we got some time, and then all of a sudden, you're sitting out there watching because this is right in front of Jericho. Jericho's right there. All of a sudden, the, the one end of it just stops flowing and just kind of builds up, and the water keeps coming from that side, and it just stops, and it gets, I guess, taller and taller and taller. And now you're going to walk out on the other side. And they're watching this. They already heard about the Red Sea. They heard about the Red Sea. They're watching this. Can you imagine that? We heard about the Red Sea. We've been talking about it for a long time, about the Red Sea, what we had going on there. Now, here it is. It's happening. We can see it. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that water. It's not going anywhere. They're walking on dry ground. Surely they're going to sink in. They're not sinking. They're walking. Oh, what that must have been like. They hurt. I mean, it's one thing to hear about something. It's a whole other thing to see it. <laughs> mm. And the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Right opposite. God said, all right, come on, guys. I'm going to show off a little bit. Right in front of them. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So here's the scene. The Ark of the Covenant goes out into the midst of the river to lead all the people as to where they're supposed to go. Then all the people come and they follow. And then all the people get across and then the Ark of the Covenant heads on out the rest of the way. So we already gave you that the Jordan was about a mile long here. And that Jericho might have felt a little protected by the extra water. But if you remember, Joshua told them all to pick one man from each tribe. Twelve men, one from every tribe, to get a stone from the midst of the Jordan. Now, I want you to picture this one being played out. Because how many of you all know that whenever you get twelve groups of people together and you're all telling them to do the same task, what happens? <laughs> Competition. Competition happens. If you tell twelve people to do the same thing, I mean, if you got twelve groups of people, you said, build a float for a parade. What happens? Our float's going to be bigger. Our float's going to have more color. Our float's going to have more noise. Our float's going to have... We're going to do something bigger and better. So when I'm picturing this, we're all going to go in there and get 12 stones, but you guys go out there and pick somebody. I don't get the idea that he just said, Hey, Joe, you got anything to do? Are you carrying anything over? Look, look, you're not carrying anything. You're kind of weak. You're kind of feeble. So yeah, but if you grab a stone and then you bring that with you. I don't think that's what happened. They want to build a memorial. I think they got the biggest, burliest, strongest guy they could get. And they said, you, you're going to get our stone. Because the stone that you could get, I mean, because there's, there's some guys out there that they can get a pretty good sized stone. There's some other guys that they won't be able to get much at all. 
So they're going to grab hold of the guy who's got the biggest stone. But they've got a couple of days to prepare for this, at least a day or two. If you've got a little bit of time to prepare, how many are going to make some kind of contraption to get the stone out? All right, we've got a big guy. Now, let's get on something that he can carry this thing out with. Because I think they wanted a big one. How many of you all like to come on out there and say, this is our tribe's stone? Look at that size of that stone. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> you try and beat that one. We got ourselves a stone. You call that a stone? That's a pebble. <laughs> we got a stone. <laughs> I think competition was going on in here. That they're all trying to find some big stones because they are going to make a memorial. You don't make a memorial out of pebbles. You make a memorial. And you're only going to have 12 stones. If you're only going to have 12 stones from this, this memorial, it better be some good-sized stones. Or you're going to say, What memorial? That little thing? <laughs> oh man, I thought that was I thought that was just something else. I, that's a memorial? We're supposed to remember stuff? No, this is the this is something that when they build it, people are supposed to come by and say, What's that? If you got twelve little tiny stones piled on top of each other, somebody's likely to come along across there and accidentally kick it. Oh, what did I do? Oh, find those twelve stones. No. These are going to be some big sized stones. These are going to be some stones. When they put them down, they're not going to get moved. I don't even know what kind of order they put them in. Who decided to be who's on the bottom, who's on the top. I'm sure that, that was a battle too. <laughs> if they're regular people. But of course, these are non-grumbling people, so maybe not. So they crossed over a very wide area. They're all in their tribes. And their tribes got this little section here. And they're all looking. Y'all look around for a big stone. Help Joe out. We're going to find ourselves a big stone. We want a big one. We want a good size one. I got one over here. Oh, that's a good stone. Anybody else got one any better? And somebody else hollers out, oh, that's even better. Look, that's got some shiny stuff in it. So whatever it is, they went out there and they got the best stone they could get. They carried that thing on out and they hauled that thing on up to the shore because they're going to make a memorial. When people go pass by, it needs to be something that says, what is that? What? That doesn't just happen. What is that? So you've got to have some pretty good-sized stones. It's got to be something pretty substantial because there's only going to be 12 of them. So they're going on through. They're having fun going through the Jordan River because they are looking for the stone. It's been underneath the water all this time. We're going to find the stone. And this, this one's going to represent our tribe. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Not a whole lot of instructions as to what that stone's supposed to look like. Doesn't say round, square, shiny, dull. Doesn't say anything like that. Just says, Get a stone. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulders, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, and the waters, uh, them at the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a, for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. They were supposed to be there forever. They were supposed to control this, this ground. They were supposed to guard over this. 
No one was supposed to come and touch this memorial. They were 12 stones they were going to put in there. People are going to walk by. They're going to say, wow, look at this. What does this mean? These stones mean something. And the children of Israel did so. Just as Joshua commanded. What music to your ears that must be. <laughs> and the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded. And took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now all he really said about the stones was you had to hoist them up on your shoulder. I'll bet you though they can come up with some kind of contraption that you could put on your shoulder and get yourself to carry a little bit bigger boulder. But that's all that they said that they had to do. Then Joshua set up twelve, set up the twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests were, who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and there they are to this day. So the priest who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. So the whole goal of this was we are going to get something that was in the Jordan and bring it out on the shore so the people know when they see the stones on the shore, that the people were in the Jordan pulling these out. They're going to pull these things out. They say, wow, what was that? They will see this from the shore, that these stones were there. And they'll say, we got those stones. We piled them all up on top of each other. We made a memorial unto God. But this is what God had done for us. Then it came to pass when all... All the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the, before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all the people and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest to bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from beyond the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry ground, that the waters of the Jordan returned to the place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this, day, this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan until you, before you until you had crossed over, as Lord God, your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Then all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Memorials are important to God. He wants people to be able to remember what has gone on in the past. If we don't remember what has gone on in the past, we will not learn from it. You need to learn what happened. You need to know that the Lord your God showed up. The Lord your God dried up the Red Sea. The Lord your God dried up the Jordan. They brought down manna. He brought down quails. He brought out water from rocks. He delivered Israel from enemies. All the different things that he had done. God wants people to know what he has done so that it testifies of the things that he will do in the future. <clears throat> Even when he was talking with Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In other words, as it has gone on in the past, 
It's how it's going to go on in the future. Learn from the past. As I was faithful before, I'll be faithful again. As I was strong before, I'll be strong again. And he does all this in the sight of all Jericho. Now, when Rahab was was speaking to the spies, she said, we've all been terrified of you because we heard. What do you think they're feeling now? (laughs) I don't know what you do. You think you got some protection there. You're at flood stage. And how many people, if if, uh, the first generation came to the Jordan like this one did, how many of those people say, God, why in the world did you bring your stream? Flood stage. Why don't you bring this when it's not flood stage? It's a whole lot easier to do. God didn't do that. He says, I'm going to make this tough. We're going to show those people. If they crossed over Jordan, 100 feet across, not as deep, eh, big deal. They could all swim probably 100 feet. How hard is it to swim 100 feet? That's not such a big deal. But we're at flood stage. We got a flooded river. Hmm. This is something else. No, God says, no, I'm going to show off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let folks know what's going on. But here's the thing that happens. And we'll learn about this in the chapter to come. But when Israel is over there in the wilderness, God is raining down manna. He's a fire of protection at nighttime to keep them warm. He's a cloud of protection during the daytime. He brings them quail. He brings them water. He does all sorts of stuff. But the moment they cross over the Jordan River, the manna stops. The quails don't fly down anymore for them to grab hold of. From this point on, they got to get their own food. Now, we think about this for a little bit. And, I don't know. Having manna rain down every morning, just bring it, going out there and getting your own food, that's pretty nice. I don't have to go out there and find it. I don't have to hunt it. I don't got to pick anything. Just go out there and gather it up, whatever I need to do. But, you know, it's always the same. And we saw how they responded to always the same. How many like to always eat the same stuff? Don't we like a little variety? You know, we sometimes get into a little bit of variety. and, and But sometimes we get stuck in a, in a rut. I know when I was a kid, for a long, long time, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches was all I had for lunch. What do you want for lunch? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, mom would go to the store. What kind of cereal you want? Cheerios. Are you sure you want Cheerios? Yeah, Cheerios. You have that, you've always eaten Cheerios. That's right, Cheerios. That's all I ate. There's no reason for Frosted Flakes and whatever, the, the Sugar Pops and all the other. No, Cheerios. There's only one, one cereal I ate when I was a kid. It's Cheerios. I still like Cheerios to this day. Of course, now they got like five different kinds of them. But when I was a kid growing up, you know, it was one kind. Just the normal one. <laughs> the normal, regular, yellow box Cheerios. That's all we had. And that's all right. This is good. Just give me Cheerios. Had Cheerios every morning for breakfast, peanut butter and jelly for lunch. I mean, talk about monotonous. But I was happy. That's all right. No vegetables in the, for morning. No vegetables in for the lunch. Then we go through the battle of the vegetables in the evening. <laughs> Because, you know, the dinner is always different. Mom's always cooking on something different in there. And there's times, you know, there's different different vegetables on there. Brussels sprouts. Who knows? Glory to God since the day I've been married. Never have made one Brussels sprout. <laughs> Not a one. Even before when I was single, never one time went to the store and bought Brussels sprouts. I don't like Brussels sprouts. If you like them, glory to God. You can eat them all up. I am not competing with you. I don't like asparagus either. I despise asparagus. My wife, sometimes she says, oh, can I, can I cook this and have asparagus? My son will eat asparagus. I said, you put that asparagus in there, I'm not eating it. 
Sure enough, you put asparagus in the thing, I won't eat it. If you put celery in something, I'm probably not eating it either. I don't like celery. I don't know why in the world people made celery for bunnies or something like that. I know some of you all like celery. That's fine. Then you'll have plenty of celery because I'm not competing with you. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm not one for variety. If I find a few things I like, I'm fine with them. This is good. I don't need a whole lot of different stuff. This, this one right here works just good. Cheerios in the morning, peanut butter and jelly at... I haven't done a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in a long, 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 long time. But, uh, but anyway, we do generally like variety, don't we? We don't always like the same kind of thing. We like to mix it up. Some people mix it up more than other people. You know, I don't go over to Dairy Queen a whole lot. But every once in a while, I venture over to a Dairy Queen because I like their blizzards. If you like their blizzards. And I look in there, I look at the menu, and say, I'm going to try something different. I look over the menu. And get the same blizzard. Nah, nothing looks better than the one I know. But I always get the same blizzard every single time. Because the few times I have ever gotten anything different, I've been disappointed. So I just go in there. My favorite blizzard is the vanilla Heath Bar blizzard. There is nothing that holds a candle to a vanilla Heath Bar blizzard. I've tried a number of other things. And if they're okay, but they're just not as good. And I come out of there disappointed. Now, you may go in there and you may try a new flavor all the time, and that's all, all good, but generally like variety. But you see, when they were in the wilderness, no variety. Manna. How many of you remember that Keith Green song? So you want to go back to Egypt? Anybody ever heard that one? Oh, it's fun. If you want YouTube at some time or go up there, I'm sure you can probably find it. And uh, during the part of the chorus, he, sang, he sings in the song all these different variations of manna. Manna burgers. <laughs> Bomana bread. <laughs> and he just went on and just started listing all these different things. It was pretty interesting, pretty fun. Stuff that you can do with manna. I don't know if you can make all those things with manna, but but they're leaving this, which was the same thing all the time. And now they're going in. They got grapes they got to carry out on. Now, to me, I don't know about you, but a small grape is better than a big grape. Because I can bite into it. I can just pop a little small grape in my mouth. But one of those big things, I'm going to eat like an apple. <laughs> so I'm okay with small grapes. But I'm sure that the flavor was just, just really good. Because this area was rich. This area just was, was prosperous. I think I told you this story before. But in the salt water, you know, now we have a salt water tank again. Got it all set up again. Had it taken down. Now it's all set up again. We got it going. If you go into a store and you want to buy, a, say, like a, an orchid pseudochromus which is a nice purple-looking fish. And if you get one that's just a normal saltwater orchid pseudochromus, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look pretty good. But if you get one from the Red Sea, oh, there is one price for saltwater fish that may come from any ocean in the world, and there's another price for a Red Sea fish. It is hugely expensive. The colors are incredibly different. I have never ordered a Red Sea fish. <laughs> I have seen the pictures of Red Sea fish, same variety over here, just from some other part of the world. And quite a difference. This is a very prosperous area, very fertile area. It, uh, it was, it was very, very effective that way. But they're going to be put in your outline here that do not fear moving on from what has been comfortable to what is new and untried. Do not fear moving on from what has been comfortable to what is new and untried. 
Now, as soon as you talk about something new and untried, people are always thinking, well, new job, move to a new area, new house. new." That doesn't always have to be the case. For these folks, it was. They were moving from the wilderness, which was nobody's home, because nobody wanted it, because it's wilderness. It never changed being the wilderness all the time the children of Israel were out there. It still was the wilderness. It never became any kind of oasis. It was always the wilderness. From the time they were there to the time they left, it was the wilderness. So get out of the wilderness. That's a good thing. And they're going to get into the Canaan, Canaan land. But you're going to leave some of the conveniences of the wilderness. The manna falling. The water coming out of rocks and things like that. But now you can go out there and get some grapes. When was the last time they had a grape? Or, or a cantaloupe. When was the last time they had a cantaloupe? Or a baked potato? Now we had Thanksgiving. Some of you folks like those yams. Yep, you can have all them too. I don't eat yams. I don't eat cranberry sauce either. Don't. I tell you, I know what I like. And I stay with it. I don't like yams. We sat next to... Uh, over my over my daughter's house and um, his uh, his parents were were over at the house and they had made these yams and they really were anxious for everybody to try some and they they passed some over to me and I knew they had made it but I said no I'm sorry I don't do yams never have never will tried them a couple of times and uh, oh, and everybody's always told me oh but you don't know the way I t- I make them I don't care they feel awful in my mouth. <laughs> And that's really all that matters. <laughs> I think I cannot get past that. I don't do cooked cabbage. What's that? Is it have sweet potatoes in it? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, cheesecake is good. I like cheesecake. And Heath Bar Blizzards. That's right. <laughs> Some of you are more into variety than I am, and that's all good. But. You see, we've got, to be, we've got to be comfortable moving on because sometimes God takes us and we've been comfortable in our walk with the Lord, where it has been, the things have been going on, and all of a sudden He's moving us into another spot. And where He's moving us is a, is a land of plenty, a land of abundance. There's good things there, but there's not the same thing we've been used to. It's a little bit different. We sometimes get put out in places where we've got to start declaring to people, when we put our feet into the Jordan, it's going to split apart. Have you ever seen that happen? No. But that's what's going to happen. Really. I haven't seen it happen. Now, I've heard about it happening this way where you take your rod and stretch it out over. Why don't you just do that? Just take your rod stretch it out. I think maybe you heard a little bit wrong. That's how Moses did it. Why don't you do it his way? Because his way worked. No. You need to step in. Well, this is kind of uncomfortable. We haven't gone out into this, this part of it yet. And Joshua has not been the head guy. He's not been the guy to hear from God and to say what God has done. This is his first time. First time. I mean, this, this is not the best of, best of times. I would think, that, you know, let's start with something small. Not a Jordan at flood stage. This isn't the, this isn't the good thing. But we've got to be ready for God to move us on. Because sometimes, you know, we've been in, a, in this kind of a role. And God says, no, all right, you've been preparing in that kind of role. Now I want you in this kind of a role. Now we're going to move you forward into this type of a role. I need you to start taking you know, charge over work. I need you to start asserting this or doing this over here. And um, we're feeling that God's telling us to do it, but we're kind of resisting because it's going into new territory. I don't like going into new territory. 
But you just even think about new territory and area given. How many of y'all know the first time you gave $50? Was that a memory, memorable experience? Did you gave $50 to, to church or, or uh, organization or person? God ministered. God told you, said, I want you to give $50. And that was tough. And now you could probably give $50 and not even think twice about it. And God moved you from $50 faith over to $100 faith. Where God says, give $100. Well, that kind of pushed you a little bit. And then you got to a point where you could go beyond that and, and do even more. And now you look on back and, boy, I remember when giving $50, that was a, a challenge for me. And it's not anymore. Why? Because you moved out of the one spot and got into something else. But you had to move into some areas that were not comfortable. You got to be ready to move on. You got to let go of, all right, we want the Canaan land, but we like the manna to fall. Manna doesn't fall in Canaan. Manna falls in the wilderness. You want to go over to Canaan, you want to take all the, the stuff from all those cities, this is what happens here. Find your own food now. It's not that God says, I'm tired of working for you. It's just that there is food to find. Because <clears throat> they're not in the wilderness. In the wilderness is not so much food. So don't be afraid of moving on from what has been comfortable to what is new. When you get, first start moving into the gifts of the Spirit, it's a whole lot easier to move in those areas where the gifts of the Spirit are not involved. It's a whole lot easier than when someone comes to you and says, here's my situation. You just listen, give them a scripture or two, and pray general prayer, and then leave. That was comfortable. We like that. Didn't uh, stir up any feathers or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, you're going through the same thing, you're doing the same area. And down on the inside of you is coming words of God to share. I don't know what those words mean. That's all right. Tell them to them. <laughs> That's a little uncomfortable. It's okay. Get into the areas where it's uncomfortable. You got to sometimes move into that. Israel surely missed the manna, fire, and cloud. <laughs> but look what they gained. Amen. They missed the manna falling from heaven. They missed the fire. They kept the warm at night. And they missed the cloud. It kept them uh, comfortable during the day. But if you want to move into some new things that God wants to do, you got to move out of the old. Same thing with, the, you know, if you got a new car, you got to move out of the old car. <laughs> right? Got all your stuff in the old car? You got to move the stuff out of the old car and put it in the new car. If you want that stuff in there, you got to, I mean, if you want your CDs in the new car, you got to take the CDs with you. Got to move them in there. If you've got a nice ice scraper, you like that ice scraper? He's got a nice ice scraper. I like that ice scraper. He's got solid action the other, other winter. It's a, and it's a good one. If you like your ice scraper, you better move it from the old car into the new car. You've got to move your stuff from the old car into the new car in order to enjoy the new car. If you're going to buy a new house, well, what happens? You move the stuff out of the old house into the new house. So that you can enjoy living in the new house. But you gotta move the stuff out of the old house, get rid of the old house, move into the new house. That's what you gotta do. And you gotta, you got, we have places that we've been walk, walking in, places we've been operating in with God. And God says, all right, that's good. You learned some things out of there. Now I need you to move into the new ones. There's some new areas over here. I need you to move into those. For Joshua, Joshua's been the second guy. Whatever Moses said, he went out and carried it out. He went out and helped uh, bring it about. Now God's speaking to him and he's got to go out and tell people. You sure God said that? 
He never got that before. Where did he get before? Moses said that? Moses said that, yeah. All right, we'll go ahead and do that. But he doesn't have that. He don't have Moses now. He doesn't have it that you know, Moses said this. No, God said this. God said that to you? That doesn't make any sense, Joshua. What do you mean God said? God does, what you, how's the God going to do that? We're just going to step into the water? I've never seen that happen before. We're going to walk around a city? Not doing, just walk around it? Yeah, just walk around it. But Joshua did it. We got to be willing to walk out of the old in order to walk into the new. There is nothing we like better than hanging on to the old while we try out the new. <laughs> but no, that's not what we're here to do. When you cross over the Jordan, you cross over. The manna stays on the other side. Now you enjoy the benefits of a very fruitful Canaan land. Now you enjoy the benefits of your inheritance. Before we always wanted people to be praying for us. Whenever we had a need, oh, pray for me, I need this. But God wants you to move into your inheritance. Things change. But we want to hang on to the old stuff and enjoy the new. Can't always do that. There's times we got to let it go. Just like when we go from season to season. We're going from summertime into wintertime. That means you let go of the shorts, <laughs> the short sleeve shirts, and the flip-flops, whatever else people wear in the summertime, and you pick up the long pants and the long sleeves and the flannel shirts, and for some of us, even coats. But then once you get into the out of the winter, you have to shed that stuff off. You don't want to be carrying in those winter coats and those long sleeves and those long pants into the hot days of summer. you got to shed what belongs in that time and pick up what belongs in this. What is God leading you into? What is God preparing you for? Now understand originally, God only intended them to be in the wilderness a couple of weeks. It was their disobedience that made it a number of years. His intention was a couple of weeks. That's all it's going to take. But they made it a whole lot longer. How long we are in each stage depends largely on us. What do we learn? We're ready to move on. But God has some things for us to do. He's going to change your prayer life. He's going to change your study habits. He's going to stay, change how you study, how you speak to people, how you interact with unsaved, interact with believers. He's going to change all that. We've got to be ready for it. Are we ready to move on? Or are we going to hang on to what's comfortable, what we're used to? Father, I thank you for the changes that you bring about in our life. That you are taking us to high places. You are taking us on into, into directions that are good. And we need to trust you in that. Sometimes we have these times in our life when we cross over from one place into another. Sometimes they're like Red Sea crossings. We're crossing out of something bad into something that we anticipate being good. Other times it's like a Jordan crossing where we're coming out of something that, all right, it's not the best, but it's comfortable. Everything we need is taken care of. And move into a place where a little more risk, but the proceeds, the benefits are great. Help us, Father, never to be so much hanging on to the old that we don't embrace what you're leading us into. 
Thank you for the help that you give us in leading us in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.